0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello world and welcome to The Upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for the upcoming 19th episode is a man who is just completely dove into the world of books and education. You are going to love this guy, folks. He is an alum of the University of Albany where he was not he's not only serving as a member of the Kappa Pi Delta Education Honor Society, but Also, he was the web content writer for its alumni association. He's worked with giants such as North Star Group and Penguin Random House, and now he's out to become a giant himself with this company, Words by Amir, which everyone needs to hear about. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the great Shane Amir Holloway. How's it going, Shane?
1: That's a beautiful, beautiful introduction, man. It's going well, man. How are you?
0: I am fantastic. I'm even happier that you're here um, with me talking now because i'm just just so excited right now man so yeah so shane listen one thing that always happens at the upcoming is i allow my guests to give introductions of themselves so shane in your own words who and what exactly are you
1: if i am anything i am an idea that's really that's really what I am. I'm just like an idea and a creative um, and sheesh, I, I like to think of myself as like an artist. Like I know, I, just, I know I write books and poems, but to me, it's art. So if anything, I'm just an artist.
0: Just an artist, huh? Yeah. That is honestly touching. So when you pull these words together, what is it that's just so beautiful to you about art? What is it that drives you?
1: Hmm. yeah for me i think the most beautiful thing about putting these words together is just the amount of people i'm able to touch and impact um like i think i didn't when i started writing it really was just uh like a form of like a diary for me i just needed like a release i didn't really like to speak a lot i was honestly like an introvert um but i was a popular one so that was where it came like Got like tricky because I, I had to speak to people, but I didn't really know how to communicate, but um you know you never know who's reading your work, you know like you you just never know it's different when um, you know you can probably see who's looking at your profile page or whatever the case people like when you release these books into the world it's it's there. like someone in Australia can buy a copy of my book and you know have conversations about it. A lot of that stuff is like drawn from our own personal thoughts. So, you know, when when you get kind of feedback from people about the stuff you're writing, it's interesting to see that your thoughts are actually like relatable to other people.
0: Yeah, that is beautiful. But now, as we go into our questions right now, Shane, I I want to take him back. When did you decide you wanted to be in the um, literary field?
1: I want to say I started really writing. I started writing poetry when I was in fifth grade. Um, I had went to the store. Uh, my parents were separated, so some weeks I was still with my dad, and other weeks I was still with my mom. And my dad was like, he didn't have any TV. Like He was like, shut sure out the military, no TV in the house. So I had went to the store underneath the train station, and I brought like a little small red notebook, and I just kind of started writing in there. And I think, like, eighth grade, I used to get in trouble for writing in class, and my history teacher, Miss Nelson, like, she was, like, she was kind of, like, on her last strike with me, like, getting ready to give me detention. I thought she was going to give me detention, but um, she ended up uh, sending me to this performance. I performed for the first time in 2010, I think. I still actually have that award. In my house, I performed at an event for Sigma Gamma Row in Brooklyn, this poem. And from there, like, I just I just kept writing and writing.
0: Wow. so That's just really, it was just one thing that turned into just a plethora of other beautiful things and just built you up to be the writer that you are now, as you say. Is that it?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's really what it was. It was a it was like a it was a lot of things. It was kind of like I didn't really want people to know how I was writing because, you know, I hate to do this whole story thing, but like where I'm coming from, where I'm coming from and the part of Brooklyn that I was raised in, it wasn't like a common thing. It was more of like we really were like just playing basketball or you were doing like other things. Um, so it was kind of hard to be outside playing basketball with my homies and my friends, and then I'm going back inside under my covers and I'm, and I'm writing. Um, so that, that was really how it started in the beginning. Um, I didn't do a lot of performances as a kid, but as I got older, I kind of started to do more performances.
0: I, I see. And what were some of those performances like?
1: Oh, man, it was nerve-wracking. It was nerve-wracking, man, because, you know, it's so interesting. I could stand in a room full of, like, a hundred people that I don't know and not be nervous. But if I'm in a room full of people that I do know, and it's a hundred people that I do know, I'm a little bit nervous because, like, chances are if I perform, I'm not going to, like, remember these people' faces or whatever, you know, if I don't know them. But um, it, it, was, it was interesting. I, I did a performance. I think my last performance was, like, 2018. I had just released my book and I performed on my college campus for the first time. That was, man, that was, <laughs> was nerve wracking. Like I did like a lot of performances that year. I did one at my college campus where I just did poems, and I had did one of my Twitter poems, and then I did another performance like the week before that at uh, somewhere near like the Capitol Center in Albany, and that was like a room full of my peers. That I that I didn't know in the other performance when I was uh reading the poems it was just a like for organization but but yeah I think the performances they really they really do help me out a lot um it's poetry is like a mixture of what you say but how you say it and growing up when I read these poems and these books I didn't really Ever get to like I never got to hear Linkson Huge actually say a poem or uh, Zora Neil Hurston I didn't I never got to hear them I just had my own interpretation of it because they were you know gone by the time I was alive.
0: I see, I see. So you say it's um, gotten better with um, performances. So would you say it's like sort of built your confidence, or you still get that sort of like anxiety when you're getting on stage? I still get anxiety, man. I don't get anxiety
1: mm. every time I go on stage. Mm. <laughs> I uh, I had I had watched this movie one time. I'm drawing a blank and I can't remember it, but I remember the guy in the movie said, "Writers write so that they don't have to speak," and um, it was just interesting because people really wanted me to say what I would like the more I wrote, the more people actually wanted to actually hear me say the words that I was writing down so they could get like a better feel and understanding of it. And I didn't expect that to happen. So, I mean, that, that is one of my biggest goals though. I would say like, I don't do like the year goals, but I really, really want to make it a point to go to some of these like poetry slams and nearby cafes and just, perform my poetry hopefully so hopefully i'll have more footage out for people
0: definitely definitely but i want to know about you and your writing what what's the most common emotion you feel when you're writing is it maybe love or anger sadness or just contentment like what is it
1: <laughs> you know this is gonna sound really bad but i remember i had a conversation with a woman one time and uh and she was like yo you haven't written this so long what's going on i was like i've been happy yo like i don't know like i really used to feel like i could only write if i was like hurt um i hate to say it but like yeah most of my stuff really really does come from like pain honestly like i don't wish it on myself but i'm not a fighter i'm a writer i try to look at it like that like i could retaliate but i rather like retaliate in a book or retaliate in a poem you know poems are forever like Fights or you know, yelling and subliminals
0: is not my thing. I see. So when you're in that pain, uh, do you have a poem you can um, talk to me about that maybe came when you had a different emotion, like happiness? Or,
1: um, yeah, I think one of my most one of my most like viral poems on Twitter was um, this poem. I wrote a, I wrote a poem called Mona Lisa. And like I've I've always loved art. Like I loved art so much, and um, that's kind of why I said in the beginning. Like I like to look at myself as an artist. But um, I I had a I had a moment in my life where I just needed like a muse, and one of my very very good friends was just like she just served as like a muse to me. Like she was very understanding of like who I was and you know like i think one one of the best compliments i ever had ever ever received is um, you know i like your shyness it's relaxing it's relaxing um when other people try to be so hard and tough like you're refreshing and she called me refreshing and like that just like brought like a spur of emotions um, but I think the Mona Lisa is, like, one of my most beautiful poems that I've ever written. I know that poem is still on my Words by Mir page. I, I left it up there. But, yeah, I remember that like it was yesterday.
0: Wow, that is honestly beautiful. It's honestly beautiful. And just hear, like, these just bursts of emotions that gave you, when you recall it, refreshing. I can't imagine. It must have just been a really just crazy moment right there.
1: Yeah, because, like... For me, I feel like people say that you go through puberty like when you're like in high school or something like that. When I I was, um, I was kind of like, it felt like I was going through puberty all over again because I was going through an array of emotions. I was alone and I was like dating for the first time and just going through so many different things. Um, that was kind of like poetry, Became my way to kind of cope with the changes that I was going through, like physically, looks wise, uh, dressing wise. I started dressing differently. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I still, I still like any other creative person. I still have my doubts. Like when I was in college, when whenever I released a poem on my Instagram page, I would send it to my group chat first. Like, yo, does this sound good? Like, let me know. And. I'm a little bit past that stage now where, like, I don't really need, I I try not to do that anymore because when people come to me now that I'm, like, a writer or whatever, they always ask me for my opinion on their poem, and I always tell them, like, I can't tell you, like, this is a bad poem, like, this is, you can't mess it up, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's kind of how I look at it, like, you, if you wrote it and you were honest in your writing, then, like, it's good, like, let's let's just go with it
0: yeah yeah serious it's just confidence right there just trusting your abilities gets people a yeah. long way
1: and i listened to your other interview um confidence is key and i think that was something that i like that he said because yeah like you like i can't remember the gentleman's name but he was like he was making films and putting them out and some of them were bad like some of his middle school ones but you need to kind of get that feedback and you need to just like even if it's good or if it's bad, like just get it out there because one person will like it. And I think that's really what's, what's most important.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that guy, um, by the way, that you were talking about, his name is a Tucker. So all you um, upcoming listeners, be sure to um, watch that episode. We episode 15. That was, he was uh, fantastic, but um, yeah. So now I want to dive into a little bit further ahead, um, Shane, because I said that you were that you joined uh the Kappa uh, Pi um Delta Honor Society, which is huge, by the way. It is huge. But let's just, you know, go into your experience there, starting with when you first joined. Can you give us like a good idea of this organization and your first experience stepping into there because, you know, being a large design society, it sounds really intense. Yeah, KDP was like that was like my highlight of
1: grad school. Um, for people listening, just for like background, I started grad school right after I finished undergrad. Um, so I went straight in. And I was originally in English and no disrespect to Sunny Albany, I I love you all there, but it was horrible. Like it was, it was so boring. I'm reading books on on Thoreau, and it's just like he's talking about animals, and I'm just like, this is not, this is not it. So I had left that program. Didn't tell anybody. (laughs) It was boring. (laughs) I left the program. I didn't tell anybody, and then I ended up applying for the education program at U A. It was one of the like, I think it was like the number one program in the Northeast. And I didn't think I was going to get in at all, but I got in and I said, the first thing I want to do is make sure I get the full, like, I need everything. Like if I'm spending my money, my loans, I need everything. Um, so when I, when I met some people from KDP, um, they kind of gave me like a, a feeling of like this homeness. I did my research on it. Uh, uh, I was, I was happy. Uh, I I tabled a lot because I was just eager to kind of share that information um it's very important that we see more people excited about education and they don't look at it as so stressful um so when I got with KDP I I signed up for the magazine subscriptions immediately I still get them um I went to some of these conferences I met a lot of different people uh, a lot of young teachers too and I think it was so beautiful to see because we really need our kids to while we need our children to be educated we need them to also be educated by people who are not so far away from their age so that we can have more teachers and more people that just, not, e- not even if you're just a teacher, but just people in the realm of education in general. And KDP gave me a lot of different tools. Um, I got to take on a lot of different tasks and we, we did car- um, pumpkin carving too. So that was fun too. Like we, we had we had a great time together. So I love capital Zafalia. So
0: that is awesome. So'd you, you say exactly was the most important thing you gained while being a part of the society? What was something you were able to get for yourself when being a part of this that's just you hold on to the most?
1: Professional development. Um and I think that I, I love that question just because a lot of times I hear people use this term called code switching. But it, I think that kind of like downplays like the professional aspect of your life. Like, of course, if you're walking into an office, you're gonna say hello, good morning. You're gonna shake people's hand. You know, like this is just things that you have to do. I grew up in a household where you can't go in the kitchen and get breakfast if you don't say good morning to mom. Like that's just what it is. It's kind of kind of look at it like that. So professional development was like major, major key. Um... Little things from when I went to my first conference, I had my watch on my right hand because so I write with that hand. A gentleman sat down with me and explained to me, like, hey, listen, like, keep that watch in your left hand. Um, resume, help with my resume was key too. Um, I didn't, I, dang, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I want to say it for full transparency for people listening. Like, I didn't have a resume until I got to KDP, I didn't have one at all. Like, I was, really I did the alumni yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't have one. Like, you know, it, it's crazy because while I appreciate my education, when I look back at my whole college career, I think KDP project shape and just my whole grad school time and in general was like, were like the most important moments of my overall development. So. I still stay in t- I still stay in contact with people from KDP. I, I know some people from uh, different schools you know they have a website where we can go on there and see job postings and et cetera so yeah I love it I love it.
0: That is fantastic and yeah, it's so interesting how KDP was able to shape you as a professional and be able to just walk into a room and know the rules and um, etiquettes of the office. So you were able to be even stronger than you were previously. And let me ask you, did it surprise you like how precise and like detail oriented uh, resumes had to be when you were uh, starting out? Yeah, it definitely, definitely surprised me. Um,
1: And I, Honestly, at first I was a little bit embarrassed. Um, I was embarrassed because I felt like these are things that I should have known. And because I didn't know that, it's kind of what made me want to join KDP even more. You Think about some of the things that kids are being taught in school. Like some kids are not even learning how to write script in school. Some kids are not having finance classes, so they'll learn about credit. So they're going to college and ruining their credit or little things like that. Um, looking at a resume, I think I see so many different resumes, and I used to get kind of discouraged because I felt like I didn't have, I didn't, I felt like I hadn't worked with these big name companies, so I didn't feel like my resume was important. But the key thing that anyone listening needs to know about a resume is it's less of where you worked and it's more of what you did when you worked. Resumes are really, and how KDP explains to me is resumes are really just like. Highlighting all of your transferable skills. That's really like the main thing. It's not about where you worked; It's about what you did when you were there. And can you do that somewhere else?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, before we move on to uh, where you've worked, I want to talk a little bit about uh, more about where you studied. Now, you got your master's in science of education, focusing on children's literature. Now you've talked a little bit about the importance of education for children, but I'm I'm still curious, was that the primary thing that got you more focused on children's literature than adult literature, or was there more to it?
1: Um it, I think I think that was I think that was really like my main thing is just seeing uh the total, total, total like But yeah, my main thing was just, I think right now, literacy in the United States is at an all time high. Like our literary issues are are horrible. Um, And part of me feels like it's because I had a really, really tough conversation this week on Facebook with my middle school teachers about the quality of the education that children are receiving. And I'm happy you asked that question because I understand. Us- that
0: there- huh? As they're saying, tell it straight, man. Give it, give it all of us. Give it.
1: I understand that there is a certain curriculum that schools need to follow when they're teaching, and I'm not trying to attack anyone that is working in these school districts or anything like that. What I'm saying is that if we can't fix it in the school. Within the school hours, we need to have more programs and more buildings. There are more there are more liquor stores in my neighborhood than there, there's one library in my neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? And that library is right across the street from a Popeye's and a Dunkin' Donuts. And I say that to say, when I went to U Albany and I went to grad school, I made it a point to study everything that had to do with children. So before I took those literacy classes, I took child psych and I learned about what children should be learning and studying, and and what they should be producing by certain ages and stages, like there should be more of these like little kid geniuses that are going to Harvard at this age and that age. So when I got to um when I got to my education program, uh, they asked me what type of courses I wanted to take. So for my first year, I took courses that literally just gave me different. Um, that told me different platforms that I could teach kids, whether that was through video games, educational video games, or um just learning how to work with kids that had IEPs. And when I got to my literacy portion, which was my last year, um, I made it a point to study some of the books that kids are reading in the library, study some of these authors and see some of the messages that are being conveyed. Um Reading for me was fun. School was fun for me growing up. Um, I think now, I think technology has kind of I feel like it's done more harm than foul. And I think that technology has taken away from the purpose of a teacher. Because kids are being taught by technology, they're not, they're not being taught by actual people.
0: I see. Yeah. I see. And that reigns true because there are so many flaws and errors in the current um, education system. And they do lack that sort of human um, connection that's really needed for students Mm -hmm. to grow. And it reminds me so much of this one um, book I'm reading about the gaps in um, gaps between blacks and and white students, especially. And Uh there's been a lot done with from um, private schools and charters to trying to bring like the nutrition system, like with school lunches to even trying to resegregate schools. And yet a lot of it has. failed. So when I hear stuff like this, it's like, oh, man, this is. there's so much to be done and yet so little of it is actually being done. But when you hear a lot of these um, plans that I've just witnessed, a lot of these solutions, especially with, you know, um, systems such as like common core and everything. Why do you think schools just aren't hitting their marks? Of course, besides, you know, relying on technology and everything like, what do you think they, these um, schools just don't really get it?
1: Um I think that I think that there's this bad notion that all right, so when I had that conversation and I made that I made a post on, on Facebook about it, my teacher, my, my high school principal reached out to me and he told me that there's a difference between school and information. Hmm. And when he said that, it kinda it, it kind of stood to me because I went to a KIPP school uh and KIPP is like one of like these big organizations it's really an organization that made a bunch of schools and part of me feels like a lot of schools are not hitting their marks intentionally um part of me feels like like for example, I, I don't know if you're familiar with like that that whole deal last summer with with this whole with the ed, with the board of education deciding to not teach slavery because it's offensive to white people. Um, I'm not like you know we have we have to do better, but I tell you this: a a, a black man walking, a black man, a black girl, a black woman, a black a, 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 a person of color. Walking down a block with a book is a hundred times more dangerous than a person of color walking down a block with a gun, and that's why I want to make it my mission to continue to write and to continue to get these books out to kids because, you know, there's this saying that if you want to hide something from a person of color, put it in a book.
0: Mm. You know,
1: not a it's not a coincidence that when those riots happened in la for example when they were saying that we were looting they don't talk about the fact that police officers who didn't look like us were burning down libraries you know so So i i don't know like i i feel like i have to do it because i feel like our people are giving up faith and giving up hope everyone can't you shouldn't have to pay to send your kids to a private school to get a good education and then have to pay to send them to a good college as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need more people coming into these public schools because the majority of the people in the world go to public school because they can't afford to send their kids to these private schools. Um, we have zone schools with 20,000 plus kids in it, or I'm working with school districts in Texas right now that have 13,000 kids in it, and they have one star. It's not even upsetting, it's scary. You know, that you have this many kids and you're okay with failing like that. So I think we just need more people coming into these schools. We need to bring back career day. We need to bring back, like they have episodes on Hey Arnold, where kids are coming to career day and they're not only coming to school to, they're not only having these people come to school, but they're allowing these kids to go out with them and see what it's like working a day with us. Oh, you want to be an ice cream man? You want to run your own business? All right, you'll go with the ice cream man. And you know what's?
0: You know what something else. Was... Sorry, go no, ahead. No. I'll save that
1: for later. No, no, no. Go ahead, go
0: ahead. You know something else that they need to do is um, stop putting um, so much emphasis on you know college prep programs and bring back those classic classes like woodworking and like even like driving practices and like engineering. Just, like teach people, like even promote trade schools. You know where people can get jobs that can earn real good money and show them like logistics of how they can step into those kinds of fields and you know bring and they can even have some fun doing it that's some of the great ways people can succeed as well but i've also but it's also just stop putting so much pressure on them as well
1: yeah and that's that's my whole thing too and that was my whole thing about the post like when i made a post i felt like my history teacher kind of Um, and rightfully so, like she was upset, but rightfully so, because, you know, even she, you know, I won't get in, I won't get, I won't get too much into that, but that's my main thing. Like we're, we are educating kids, but are we teaching them things that there's there's a difference between that education is knowledge, but when we're teaching kids things, they should be learning. And, and when, we te- when we think about teaching, we think about skills. You, you wouldn't say, I'm gonna educate you on how to drive. You're gonna teach someone how to drive. You wouldn't say, I'm gonna educate you on how to cook. You're gonna teach someone how to cook. So we need to teach kids about finance. We need to teach kids about literacy. We need to teach kids, like we're, right now, I feel like we're just setting kids up to pass tests. That, that's my issue right there. Like, okay, they can pass a test in school, but like they're failing in life. Schools are not really preparing kids for life, and it's it's scary, and it's not fair to kids because they don't know that they're going to school and they're failing. Like, yeah, you might get an A in this class, but you're still failing at, like, life. That's, that's how I personally feel, and I'm not trying to come at anyone who is a teacher or, like, at, at, at one point, everyone was a student. And I think that we forget that. So so that's just really how I feel.
0: Nice, nice. So as we move from education, let's dive into the oh so wonderful world of the publishing industry. So you've had quite a lot of experience in the publishing industry. But that means you've also been quite familiar with the, let's just call them gaps. Let's call them gaps within them. So you've talked to me about the vast gap in demographics in the publishing industry. You were like one of the just handful of um, black employees within uh, publishing house and the studies back up all that you've told me. Like, for those who don't know, Lee and Low Books, a uh, children's uh, publishing company, did a study and found that between 2015 and 2019 alone, the percentage of. Um, let's just say blacks in the industry went up from 4% to just 5%. So as a black man yourself in the industry, how do you analyze um, this information? Um, yeah, that, that is one thing that's really
1: upsetting to me. And, um, I don't want to say that I've given up on the publishing industry, but that's another reason why I kind of dive, dove into that realm of education because aside from the books that are being written, the people that are writing the type of books and working like the people who work I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure I say the right thing. Like so what I'm saying is there are there's a round table of people who are picking out these books that we're presenting to the world. And a lot of these people don't look like us. So in turn, people who look like us, little kids who look like us are not motivated to read because we're only reading one person's story from one person's perspective. And I think what hurts even more is when these people who don't look like us are writing our stories. It's kind of like a slap in the face. It it, it irritates me, so yeah like uh, i enjoyed my time working in the publishing industry but in my personal experience it felt really lonely uh, i felt lonely
0: yeah i can imagine you told me like you were like one of few if not the you were the only like um black male working in the industry um weren't you or at least one of the few yeah
1: i was one of the few i was the only black male but there was another there were two other um black women yeah
0: that is just insane i can imagine where the loneliness came from because it's just like you're just like i can't believe i'm saying this but you're just like the black sheep within that herd it's just like you're literally. almost felt like outsiders i can imagine
1: literally but you know what you know what's interesting when i've been doing a lot of research and looking into some of these uh like companies a lot of the companies like they lack like color, but they also lack men. Like I don't see a lot of men actually working in publishing, and I'm not sure why that is. I don't know if it's because of this, maybe the pay, or maybe men are just not interested. But I don't know why that. That like, have you noticed? Like, have you noticed that? I like, do you feel like that. Maybe I'm being like biased, but this well, is I have seen.
0: I, well, I have seen a lot of um, women um, take um, take hold and um, be, work in the um, publishing industry, and I haven't met a whole lot of. Um, Um, Men in particular who are with it. In fact, I've met more women who work with um, publishing industry than um, than men. So I can definitely um, go through. um, I'm with what you're saying right now and believe that. So, but you know, another thing, despite these, despite the low demographics, you know, in recent years, there's been a surge of publications by Black authors, but these were mainly about, you know, race and uh, social awareness. And that came about through, as we know, the George Floyd murder and the Black Lives Matter protests, which a lot of companies have voiced their support for the latter saying like, you know, we stand against racism and yet everything we've just talked about now, it feels so just ironic and almost hypocritical in a way. So, it's inspired um, another thing that I want to talk about later. Well, let's talk about it now. It's inspired that, eh, you know, yeah, I'm going to talk about it later in a second, but just, you know, when you look at this, where do you think people should try to, you know, combat this, these just, I, I, I don't, it feels harsh calling it hypocrisy, but that's kind of what it is we, how would you, um, how do you think people should look to like combat this instead besides you know just try besides trying to be a part of the um, publishing industry
1: um i think the, the main thing is just self-validation part of me feels like a lot of people feel like their work is not worth anything if it's not on like a big stage or not published by a big author um that's why i love what amazon did with uh the whole create space thing and i encourage anyone uh if you have a book you have an idea don't feel like because you can't get in contact with someone at a certain company or you can't get an agent that your work doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, I think that we need more libraries and more after school programs um, for like the youth, not just like little kids, but just for like high schoolers and stuff like that. And I mean, the truth, the truth of the matter is like we got, we just address the elephant in the room. Like, maybe maybe we might need our own like black owned book publishing industry or company or you know maybe we might need something like that it's i don't think it's far-fetched it's not like it hasn't been done before we know about black wall street we know we had our own banks at one time our own hospitals um i think i think that needs to be a thing that's done too and if we can get that done um you know i know people are pushing for unity and diversity but For you to reveal a stat like that, for that percentage to only go from four to five, it's like...
0: A big slap in the face.
1: Yeah, because we're talking about the world, right? So for someone that is not really thinking about it in the aspect of the world, they might think, oh, that's only like 10 people. But it's not really 10 people. If it's 1% of the entire world, it's probably somewhere around like a couple of million people all over. But still I think we need to do we need to do we need to do more in terms of having our own you know we have our own conferences and and I and I know I don't want to I'm not trying to sound like I'm opposed to working with people who don't look like me because that's not the case at all you know I've worked I've worked with great people all over but if that needs to be like a starting point A stepping stone for us like a starting point for us i think that i think we should definitely look into creating our own publishing industry like but yeah i think i think all in all it would be a really really beautiful thing just to see people that look like us like start our own book publishing company and and just like industry like there are like what five main publishers that control all of the books in the world that's scary because none of them are found by people that look like us and, yeah. and and yeah, like like I was saying, like we when we had Black Wall Street, like we we, we kind of had that idea. It's not that we're only trying to sell books that are written by people of color, but I think it would be I think that would be a good good stepping stone. It's just if we had if we had our own thing, you know, like I'm seeing more black banks and I'm seeing more black owned businesses, but I don't want people to fear like not having their own publishing company just because publishing is so, uh, I don't want to say so white, but for lack of a better word, so like not diverse, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can understand what you're saying. I mean, and I have managed to um, find a couple of, um, black owned uh, um, bookstores and uh, little, little stores there. So as long as those keep coming, then it definitely does show a lot of progress. But yeah,
1: and that'll help too, because if you think about it, like when you go to some of these black owned books or you will see a, an array of different books that you would see somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? Like, And that was my whole thing in the beginning of this conversation about the fact that there's a lot of good information in books. That's why policemen in the past were burning down libraries. That's why there's less libraries that we see. And we need to, you know, we need people, we need more people to feel comfortable. And I can understand, you know, people not feeling comfortable um, writing books because, I mean, people of color are not feeling comfortable writing books because they feel like they're telling a story and they want to promote it to one of these big publishing companies. And it's, they feel like their message won't be received. And that's, that is a, it was a hard thing for me to like come to terms with, but I think that was a huge part of why I stepped away from book publishing for a minute. And I kind of was just like, it, it's, not, it's not enough. It's just, it's not enough. Like, you know, hiring one or two interns that look like us, you know, like, it, I, I feel like it's always an issue or so, I always hear people say like, we don't want to hire all black um, or all people of color for our internship program but then it's like there will be other internship programs or other programs that will hire all non-people of color and they don't ever say oh we don't want to hire," you know so so yeah i think i think we just need our own and i'm i haven't thought about it till just now but shoot that might be something that Words by a mirror does one day that's that's one of my goals is to you know people have a record label i want like a book label i want to be able to sign people to words by a mirror so they can write their own books and and have their own publishing and not have to worry about people like gatekeeping printers or or, or vice versa, you know, or printing companies and not have to worry about how they're going to get their advertising out. It's, it's scary. It's a, it's a tedious process, man, doing that, especially by yourself.
0: Yeah. But you're doing it regardless, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. But um, it's it's funny. We're talking about, um, I want to get to um, Where's by Amir and some of the books you've, you've written, but I want to talk a little bit more about because we both know about the crazy attempted merger that um, Random House tried with Simon and Schuster, where it would have turned the big five to the big four. And DOJ came and was just like, this is a no no. Because, for one, for people who don't know, they argued that this would have turned um ran into a monopsony, which is, as they called it, an unfair buy market that would drive the money down even more that's being paid to authors. so authors would be in even in an even more vulnerable position than they would have been already. So Shane, uh, as someone who's followed the um, trial and someone who's read up about it, how has this made you even more wary of, Um, the publishing company and the ways they can treat uh, their authors.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. If anyone listening to this podcast or wants to write books one day, or wants to write a magazine, that it is that, that entire trial is proof of why you need to believe in yourself. The one thing that stood out to me the most was they said that for all of these New York times, bestsellers, out of the 12,000 copies that are released each year, each bestseller doesn't sell more than a dozen other books. Unbelievable. That means that if you are self-publishing your book and you sold more than 13 copies, you are a bestseller author. I think, I think that just goes, but I think to answer, to answer your question That was probably the most scariest like trial that I've like and I've read I read a lot of trials. I read a lot of trials in, in school and on like education and from back in the days where uh schools were segregated. I read a lot of different um a lot of different trials, but that one, that one it 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 didn't scare me, but it really, it really, really upset me. Um and if anyone doesn't take anything away from, you know what I'm saying tonight, that right there, PRH PR trying to uh, acquire Simon and Schuster. That should show you how powerful books are, and why it's so important that people who don't look like us are trying to control all of the access that we have to books. Um, I'm. I hope I'm not. I didn't. I haven't read up on it recently, but it. They didn't. They didn't allow that move to happen, right? Like they blocked it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they blocked it. So Penguin Random House is still Penguin Random House, and Simon Schuster is still Simon Schuster.
1: Yeah, it just that. Just I, I. just don't think. I just don't think that would make sense. Um, and like just from like an uh, like a kid's perspective, like I think about what that would actually do to the cultural books. Like I grew up on like books that were published by like certain publishing companies like i'm like a huge junie b jones fan i have her books right here in front of me actually like i love junie b jones and you know i i was in a heavy on simon and schuster growing up but like i think i think what i will say is i think that each company has developed a kind of uh, persona about them and the classical books that they've released um i when i think about uh prh i kind of think more of like nostalgia when I think about Simon and Schuster. I think about more of like a variety, and um, I—I'm not gonna lie, I can't remember a lot of the Simon and Schuster books that I read. But I know that Ruby Core is like milk and honey. When I got that book out, I got that book in college, and I sat there and I read. Like you don't really see a lot of a lot of publishing companies publishing adult poetry in the fashion that that was like. That book was amazing, man, mm. but. Aside from that, yeah, I, I I feel like I feel like I'm glad it didn't happen because I really was scared. One of the main things that was being said is that technically Amazon owns a larger percent of the publishing just due to the fact that there's so many self-publishers to create space. And um I get that, but Amazon is not a publishing company. So it's like You know, but 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 yeah, I'm glad that didn't happen. I think it would have been scary. Um, I think I think it really really would have been scary, and I think that SNS would have kind of lost a lot of like their culture.
0: Yeah. So now let's go into your company, Words by Amir. So this is this is ambition personified, and especially with everything we've just talked about. So. You've been at this for a while, and with everything we've talked about, how has it grown since you uh, since you first started it?
1: Well, uh, when I when I started Words by Me, I kind of was kind of trying to use it as like my alias. My middle name is Arabic, and growing up, you know, you get bullied a lot for for just you know that's what kids do, and it's nothing personal. But I knew that people wouldn't know that my middle name was Amir, so. um... At the start, I had no idea that I would eventually want to turn it into a company. Um, right now, I spent like the last year just rebranding and trying to think about what it is that I want my company to actually stand for. I don't want it to just be based on poetry and books. I want to do more of that education factor that we spoke about. I want to get some more of my books into these uh, to these schools. Um. I'm excited about it though. Like I got a new logo coming out soon. I'm working with a good friend of mine, D'Angelo. Shout out to him. Working on the logo. Uh, got the new book ready, just waiting for everything to kind of like fall into place and for that time and to be right. But like I said, really for words by Amir, what I want us to do is just uh, a multitude of things. Um, I want it to be something that people will want to be a part of and want to, you know, help grow. Uh, I was really just a college kid, man. I was in my dorm room. I want to say I was a sophomore in college, fall '15, and I was sitting down in a room, and I was like, first it was like uh, I just had my Instagram name as my as my like what my logo stamp would be. I had like a cloud, and I had like my name in it. I was like, that's not it. So then I went back to the drawing board. And I kept the cloud. I had a book that was open, and I put my name of it again, I'm like, that's not, that's not really it. Like this, this has to be specifically tailored to to something. Um, so I've been getting a lot of different advice from a lot of people working with, working with a lot of people kind of just to better understand like, all right, what problem am I trying to solve for my organization and my company? Um, how is my company being social socially responsible? Um, what is my model? I didn't even have a model until, you know, I, did that rebranding. Um, and it's very important because you know, when you present something to somebody, you don't want to just say like, yeah, this is it's by me, or we got an Instagram page over here that because that's really what I was doing for, for some time. And you know, you know, we learn as we go. uh But, but yeah, so I've been doing a lot of rebranding, and I'm excited to kind of like, reintroduce the company to people now at, at this stage in my life, you know, people are proud of some of the things and happy, the things that I did with as little knowledge as I had, then I know this is this is about to be like, this might be one for the books. So I'm excited.
0: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. But how do you want this company to shape your legacy as it continues to grow?
1: Yeah, that was a, that was a question that I, I actually added into my business plan um, about my legacy. Um I used to want to hide behind my words and I didn't want anyone and, and it's kind of because of what we talked about before. Like I had a fear that people just wouldn't read what I was writing because I was a person of color. Um so when I think about how I want first I made to shake my legacy, I really I really, really, really want to make sure that people understand something. And uh I watched this podcast on YouTube called Ownership, um, called uh Black Wealth Renaissance. And there's an episode everybody should watch. It's called Ownership is the New Black. Um it's easy to create a company, but it's not easy to maintain a company, and it's not easy to, you know, so a lot of people are going to say that you're too young to be doing things or you don't have enough years of experience or whatever the case could be. There's people just implementing your fear. When I think about how I want WBA to really shape my career, I want to say that. I did more than just books. If my company is not bigger than me, then I failed. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be bigger than my company. I don't want people to recognize me when I'm walking on a block. I want people to recognize that logo when it drives by on the bus though. You know, I want I want to be able to I want words by a mirror to shift the kind con- connotation that we have now about people of color and not just in publishing but just in general in the business industry um we don't own a lot of things we create these things but when we don't create it the proper way we in turn lose ownership and that's really that's really what i want to do i i I envision taking this to australia and to canada and i want to be global i know i can do it um But I encourage everyone just to make sure that you're asking for help and don't be afraid to say, like, I really didn't know I didn't I needed to do that or, you know, like investing yourself. That's one thing I had to learn. If I can spend if I spend twenty dollars on LinkedIn premium, ten dollars on Netflix and fifteen dollars on Hulu because I wanted to get the ESPN add on. I can pay sixty five dollars to copyright my stuff. I can pay. $200 to make sure that my brand is protected and, and yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm super, super excited. Um, I'm in like the second half of my twenties now. And I think that my main fear is like staying like stagnant and for words by mirror to always be known as the same thing. Like I want to continue to do different things, um, sponsorships. Uh, I have listed as a nonprofit organization. Um, and and I'm not telling anyone everyone that they need to do that, but you know, like all the money that I'm making is for my organization so that I can donate or you know, do X, Y, and Z. Um I have some posts on my Instagram where I where like um I I would like donate to the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention every year. Mm-hmm. And I would I didn't have a lot of money like I would donate like five hundred dollars like a year and like for me at the time it was a lot of money because I was working part-time in school but that's another thing I want to kind of do some partnerships with organizations that are not um, I have this saying partner with purpose not with popularity when you have a business you want to feel like you're partnering with people that respect your business equally so don't just go to don't just look to partner with like a company like nike or adidas or whatever the case is just because it's like a huge name like make sure you do the research on uh who you're working with because it's gonna affect you in the end of the day so yeah to answer your question i just want it to be bigger than like it is now
0: honestly you've made the entrepreneurial bug bite me right now (laughs) because yeah now i want to get started right now Working on my own business is my own ideas. Everybody watching, I hope that same bug bit you too. If you have an idea for a business, do it. And make sure it gets bigger than you.
1: And I got to applaud you because like, you know, when you had questions about the publishing industry, you wrote me on LinkedIn and reached out to me and not information is free. You see how I was just willing to give you all the information I had. So yeah, like now that I know that you're looking to start your own business, I'll definitely send you over like this business template that I have on my Google Docs just so you can go through it. it's really straightforward but like, It's fun, too, because you really are, like, creating your own thing. And, like, that's another thing, too. Have fun with it. Like, yeah, make sure you own everything. Make sure you do it the right way. Don't rush it. Don't rush it because if you rush it, man, like.
0: Business is a matter of patience, folks.
1: Patience. Because if you register your organization as something and you're doing something totally different, they will come knocking. I'm talking about especially for people that look like us. Don't rush it. Ask for help. Help is free, man. The worst thing someone to say is no. Then you ask someone else, you know. So don't rush it and have fun with it. Like I have fun with making my model and my and my purpose. And you know, like study. Don't. I'm not gonna say study politics, but look at what some of these other politicians are doing. Like in the state of New York, every time we have a governor, the governor uh, picks like three pillars that they want to address in their term. Look at your business like that too. Think about what is this you want to address, like. If you want to create clothes don't just say like murphy's clothing line is just like we just we just create uh sweatpants and apparel like no like create with a purpose like we're creating to end people not being able to afford clothes i help people who need more affordable clothing we're creating to get our clothing into school so we can eventually create they are uniforms for kids that are more affordable. Vice versa, create with a purpose and a business is beautiful because it's the first and only, it's the only thing that you really get to like do for yourself.
0: Yeah, we do have we do have a lot of control in the situation we all have you know, if we all have that desire to reach out and do it, don't rush it and just have fun with it and most importantly just do it. Like Nike just do it.
1: Just <laughs> no literally just do it like do it for a couple of reasons but my main two reasons is like it doesn't matter who you are how much money you have your your ideas are important people can take you you an idea that you don't believe in someone will take and turn it into a billion dollar idea don't be that person on youtube complaining that someone stole your idea protect your ideas man protect your ideas it's important
0: yeah so as we um wrap up this um conversation i've Got um another question, just one more question to ask you. And it starts with a quote from the great George R. R. Martin: a reader lives a thousand lives. Someone who doesn't read lives only one. What book would you say, Amir, um, best reflected you just living a whole new life? Mm. Mm.
1: The four agreements. The Four Agreements Changed My Entire Life Forever. Like, I'm like, I'm talking, like, I gift people that book. Like, for Christmas, when I do my gifts, I, I gift people that book because that's a book that I believe that is, is something in there for everyone, even if it's just one sentence. Um, I got that book as a gift my junior year of college from a girlfriend of mine, Reggie. And I didn't even, I was, I was like, oh, she gave me a book because she knows I like books. I'm putting this crap in the shelf. Like I didn't read it for a year. But when I when the time came around and I knew like I needed something that was gonna help me, I needed help. I needed to understand why I'm like this. Like, yeah, the four agreements. And um I think my favorite agreement for anyone that does go and read it, I don't know if you read it, but my favorite agreement is the fourth agreement. Always do your best. And I say that to say that your best is bound to change time to time. Like today I was sick. Uh, like, I had a real bad stomach ache and I was just at work. Like I was making, I was, I was working like every 30 minutes I would make my phone calls, one 30 minutes and close my eyes, work another 30 minutes. But that was the best I could actually do. Like, don't be hard on yourself because you have a passion and a purpose but your life still comes first. And you cannot be mad that you can't produce as much or as well as you did at 18 as you can now at 22 when you have a full time job or vice versa. Always do your best, and you have to understand that like that's going to come with sacrifice. Like I'm up, I'm like I'm up at I'm, when people go to sleep, I'm up. I'm 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 up at 12 a.m. to like 5 a.m. just writing and working. Uh, I don't care. I don't care if I got to be up work at seven or eight. You know, make time for your purpose. You know, like, you got 24 hours in a day. You sleep eight of them. Now we have 16. You work eight of them. Now we have eight. You know, then you got to go food shopping, grocery shopping, shower, whatever. So now we got about four hours left just to do what it is that we want to do. So make time and, you know, give yourself grace because your best is, like, bound to change from time to time.
0: I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes episode 19 of the upcoming. I want to give another big thank you to Shane Holloway, the amazing man who has agreed to do this with me. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk with me, Shane.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm super happy to hear this. And, and, you know, just for you, I got to give you your flowers before we get off this show because... I think what you're doing is really, really, really important. Uh, people chase people who are at the top of the, of the climb or the bar or at the top of the food chain and all these celebrities or whatever the case may be. Like, you are my celebrity, you know, so keep doing what you're doing. Um, the fact that anyone wants to listen to my story gives me hope and, and it gives me faith that my purpose is is making a difference and that I'm doing something and I don't need a blue check. Or blue strips or blue hundreds or whatever they call it to to be validated. So I appreciate you a lot for even taking the time to sit down. And I'm believing you, and I'm so looking forward to listening to all the great stuff that you do,
0: For real. I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much, man. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, that's it for episode 19, and episode 20 is coming right on after, as being next week. And yes, we've reached 20 episodes. We're reaching 20 episodes, people, so I am super thrilled to have um, this next episode come out. And you continue to follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcasts, And we stream, release our episodes on Sundays at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. So with that being said, stay tuned for the next episode of The Upcoming and good night. Thank you for tuning in to The Upcoming. If you like this, be sure to follow us on Spotify for more amazing content. The best is yet to come. Take care, everybody.